We're back again on Thinking About It with Dr. Stan Fowler and myself, Bob McGregor, from Grandview Church here in Kitchener. Well, Stan, we got started last week on you-know-what. We got started talking about the Old Testament and, and whether we ought to unhitch from it or somehow leave it behind. And as, as I got to thinking about that, it, it, it caused me to, to look back to a sermon series of yours here at Grandview in which you were, you were ambitiously preaching a book of the Bible per Sunday. Yeah. And, and, and doing that, of course, devotes a fair bit of time to the Old Testament. And I, what kind of pushback did you get? I have the sense that maybe you got some pushback from people saying, there's way too much Old Testament, way too much yeah. law here. Give me some grace. Well, what did you hear from people? Well, some people said I went too fast, that they, they wanted Genesis to be more than one sermon. And what I tended to do was pick out my favorite passage or my, my favorite story. So I got some of that. Um, the greatest pushback, though, was when I got to the Minor Prophets and how the prophets were dealing with a very disobedient people and God comes across them in the Minor Prophets as being angry and offended. Uh, there's the Day of the Lord. There's grace there, too. And I couldn't say enough about the grace of God, how... Um, he intended to bring about um, a, a kingdom of righteousness and peace. A lot of that wasn't heard because of all the thunder uh, that was coming down from Zion, as it were. So I, I did get some pushback that there wasn't a lot of grace. There wasn't a lot of love. The God of the Old Testament always seemed to be angry. And the people living under the regime of the Old Testament were always fearful. They never measured up. They weren't happy. Uh, That's certainly not, as I recall, preaching it, but I have to be honest that that's what uh, a lot of people heard. Well, I got the sense that there were people saying that. I I confess I had some difficulty understanding that particular criticism uh, because you can't preach those minor prophets, number one, without recognizing the call to repentance and and, and God's righteous anger at, at his people if they're rebellious. But at the same time, you can't preach those minor prophets without recognizing his promise to, to act in a way that, that, that brings at least a righteous remnant to repentance oh, and the experience man. of his blessing. I mean, it's all, it's all right there in the same prophets. And, and to, to my mind, I don't understand the love and the mercy and the grace of God until I understand how much he had to put up with. And and the more I describe that, the greater my appreciation for God's amazing grace gets. And but not everyone heard that. A lot of people just got stuck in the the teaching that that their sin is bigger than they think. Well, it's true. I mean, the good news we only understand the the goodness of the good news when we understand a bit of the bad news about our condition that, mm-hmm. that demands a message of good news and deliverance. And it, and it also reminds me of how how prone people are to make this artificial distinction between the way God acts and speaks in the Old Testament and the way he acts and speaks in the New Testament. I mean, when you when you mention the minor prophets and and their uh, their combination of call to repentance and promise 
of of God's acting and intervening in a positive way. Mm-hmm. I, what it, it calls to mind Revelation two and three, and the words of the risen Christ through the Apostle John to seven New Testament churches, and in those messages, there are words of commendation and affirmation and promise, and and there are in most cases. Yeah. Words calling for repentance. I have this against you. In fact, I mean, what's what's the Laodicean letter in which he says, yeah, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, I'd like to vomit you out of my mouth. Yeah, Jesus said that. Jesus said that to the, to the church. So, and that's not to mention the fact that Jesus is the one who speaks the most powerful words in the Bible about hell. And, and about eternal punishment. So it's it's just not true that that the Old Testament text is all about an angry God, and the New Testament is all about a God who's loving and not angry. It's mm-hmm. that's just it's it's a false dichotomy. It's a gross oversimplification. Yeah, yeah. But the, I'm just trying to hear what people say, and there's always a little bit of truth there. Um, I I think I would preach it probably differently. I might spend more time uh, developing uh, what is in the covenant, the grace that is in the covenant, um, because it also anticipates a new covenant. I think that needed to be really clear for people. But I there's a scene in um, in the Old Testament story where God presents Himself from Sinai. And the mountain is shaking, and there's lightning, and there's smoke. And the people are terrified, and rightly so, because God is holy, and you're not. And and there's this protocol that God establishes. This is how you approach a holy God. But the thing is, he's provided a way of approach. I mean, yes. if you, you look at it, we should all be just slaughtered for for the sake of our sin. But God says, oh, no, no, see this. There's a way into my presence. Yes, uh, from from the very beginning, God is is God who acts graciously. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can take that beyond Israel and all the way back to Genesis three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when when yeah. our in, our first parents mm. rebelled and fell, God clothed them with skin, and and God's first word to them in reality is a word of promise. It's mm-hmm. a word about the ultimate seed of the woman who is going to win the battle. Yeah. It it there there is a message of judgment and and punishment and a call to repent, but but it's all in the context of God providing a way to mm-hmm. deal with that. Mm-hmm. So when when we look at the Old Testament, obviously not all of it is directed toward us as New Covenant believers in exactly the same way. We recognize that. An analogy I've used is. Suppose I had a transcript of everything my dad said to me over the course of his life. Well, over the course of my life while he was still mm-hmm. alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we would all recognize that much of it was timeless statement of his values and concerns and pieces of instruction that he might give me. We would all understand that's timeless. He would expect me to obey that forever. But we'd also understand there are pieces of it that were designed for a time in my life when I was six years old or 12 years old. Like what? Brush your teeth? 
Well, brush Something your teeth, like, like do your homework first before you do anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 12 years old in grade 7, a whole lot of what he had to say was justifiable criticism of me for the way I was acting mm-hmm. as a 12-year-old. I'd hate to repeat that year of my life. <laughs> so if you only read the transcript of that year, mm-hmm. you might think that my dad was constantly about negativity and judgment. Right. But that was generally not true. So we always have to read the pieces of the story in the context of the whole story, which is, which is one in which in Old Testament and New Testament, God is holy. God calls us his people to be holy. God disciplines us where necessary, but it's always for our good and his glory. And he is the redeeming God, always mm-hmm. has been, mm-hmm. always will be. What about the experience of God's love? I mean, that's, God is love. God is holy, but God is love. Uh, can, we, can we feel that in the Old Testament? Um, is it something that comes out more in the New Testament? And, you know, what, what, do, we, what do we say to a people in, in church today who don't feel loved by God, but they, they seem to hear in, in a sermon mine or someone else's, that um, they're sinners. Uh, if God loves them, it's barely. You know, how do we... Well, we have to communicate, don't we, that uh, God's grace is greater than all our sin. Mm-hmm. To pick up on words that I think you had us singing on Sunday morning. Couldn't uh, help if, myself. If, if I remember correctly. I mean, a wonderful song. Reminding us of all that. We're so, as Paul puts it in Romans 5, where sin abounded, grace mm-hmm. superabounded. Mm-hmm. We, we always have to communicate that. But it's not as if that's absent from the Old Testament. As I mentioned, I think in our last conversation, the Ten Commandments themselves, the law, mm-hmm. begins with, I'm, your, I'm the Lord your God who redeemed you, who delivered you out of Egypt. It, it starts with God moving toward us in grace. Now, Maybe maybe what we all have to learn, those of us who preach and teach have to remember to sound that note. Mm-hmm. It, it's, not, it's there, right yeah. there in the Old Testament. But sometimes, given the limits of one sermon or one class, we, we may end up focusing just on God as judge. But of course, I mean, Scripture says God is love, but Scripture also says our God is a consuming fire. Right. All those things are true yeah. about him, and and we dare not reduce God to be something less than he's revealed himself to be. So what are we to make um, of some of the comments that, that Paul has to say about the law? Sounds like he hates it sometimes, and yet he also says there's something in his inner man that loves the law, yearns for the law. So there's a... Is, is there a love-hate relationship to the law? Well, Romans 7 is a particular focus of that. And, and I think I would suggest what we have to realize there is in that very text, Paul says, the law is holy. The law is good. The law is a revelation of what God is like and what he calls us to be like. Problems in me. The problem is not with the law. The, what the law says is right and good. But he also makes the point in Romans there that that the law can, by its very nature, the law can command, but the law cannot change us. 
the, the, law, the law can tell us what our heart ought to be feeling, but the law as such doesn't change our heart. Mm-hmm. God, by the Holy Spirit, can, can and does change our heart. So, so that's why in, in Romans, Paul sets up the contrast between law. If, we're, if, we're, if all we had was law, then we would not be transformed. But the law is not all we have. God bestows on believers the Holy Spirit who, who enables us to do what the law itself could not bring about. And all that goes back to what the Lord said through Jeremiah, back in Jeremiah 31, mm-hmm. that, you know, my people, Israel and Judah, they've broken my law. Um, the old covenant doesn't achieve their obedience, so I'm going to make a new covenant. My law will be written on their hearts. The whole people will, they will know me. They will all, and, and their sins, I will, I will remember no more. So if I have the law written on my heart, why in the New Testament do we read um, commands that are given? Uh, we're to, to teach the commands of Christ. Um, simple things like don't steal or uh, don't lust. I mean, there, there are specific duties, commands on us. We who have the Spirit of God, the, the, the circumcised heart, we're oriented to God. Why do we need to be instructed in that way? Well, I think it's a it's a it's ongoing reminder uh, that God gives His commands. Christ gives His commands in specific form. Mm-hmm. But to say that that's written on our heart is to say, the, by the work of the Spirit, what He commands also finds an echo in our hearts, and so we say, "Yes, that is good. That's for our good." God gives commands not to make our lives cramped and narrow. God gives us commands for for our good. So there's an echo between what is said out there and what we feel in the heart. But we all need to be reminded. So on Sunday, we had a baptism of a young woman who had a problem with stealing. And and she's come to faith right now. So when she reads in the scripture that we're to put that off, not steal anymore, but rather work so that we have something to give, uh, she should say, that's what I want. That's what I love. God help me to attain that. Yes, and she can be grateful that as a New Covenant believer and dwelt by the Spirit, she, no doubt, I, I think as she herself bears witness, now now she begins mm-hmm. to feel a desire to not live that way anymore. It isn't, it isn't as if she grits her teeth and says, I really want to go on stealing, but I guess I can't now that I'm a Christian. Her, her heart has a new kind of desire. And when she does sin, does she feel defeated, ruined, unloved? Well, she ought not. She ought to recognize that this side of the second coming and, and the completion of our sanctification, we still commit sins. Not because we are fundamentally sinners in our identity, right, right. But, but because we do still commit particular sins. The work of sanctification mm-hmm. is, is ongoing. But recognizing that we've done what we ought not do, but we have yeah. a desire to be different well, is, is something we've we done something for. we shouldn't do right now. We've gone over time. Oh, we've gone over time. I'm getting the message, so we're going to wow. have to end it. Uh, thanks, Dan, for helping us understand this. Uh, until next time, we uh, will leave you with the blessing of the Lord found in the Old Testament and the New. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. 